0: What a wonderful place to be and what an, un, just, a, just, an ex, just an exciting day. I have been looking forward to this day ever since we put it on the calendar because I believe that God really has some amazing, amazing things in store for you. You know, it's a privilege for Vicky and me to be back with you today. We're thankful for the relationship that we've had down through the years with Evangel Temple. For quite some time, we've had connection with the staff. Working with them closely with us in in various capacities, like Vance and Cammie Free, they worked together with us at uh, kids camp for several years as we would serve as head counselors and they would serve as assistant head counselors and and just so many of your staff that we have had relationship with, but in recent months, we've been privileged to to enjoy the opportunity to build relationship, not just with the staff, but with the congregation. And we have just really enjoyed getting to know you a little bit better. And so what really helps about that is today it becomes even more special to us. Pastor John, Lynette, we have watched them down through the years and their amazing ministry. Now, you know, the, the thing about it is we, have, we heard from a few of their friends today. The problem is if we heard from everybody that had great respect for John and, and Lynette uh, and all of their friends. We would just be sitting here and watching video all day. So... Instead, we're going to go to the Word and just move into this very special time. Board, Pastor John, thank you so much for allowing me to be here today and to be part of this amazing day. So what exactly is a commissioning service and what are we doing here today? Well, the best way I can help you describe it is when I was pastoring, you know, we pastored in the same church for 25 years. I tell people, if you've been in that church for 25 years, you have some really, really good years and you have some years. And, uh, and we did. And, but, but it was an exciting, wonderful time. And we went there as a young man. And, you know, the thing is, I, don't, I guess I don't know a lot about pastoring. I've only pastored one church. But we stayed there for a quarter of a century. And it was, it was a joy to be there. But one of the things that was really, really fun is whenever a couple would approach us and they would approach me and I, you'd watch them sitting together in church, you'd watch them holding hands, you saw those special little looks that they gave each other and you knew what was coming and sure enough they would approach and they would say, hey, just want you to know that, that we've we decided we're going to get married and we would like for you to perform the ceremony. Well, That was such a joy. But we had a rule at Ashgrove Assembly and that was you could not get married in the church unless you had premarital counseling. Unless someone could sit down with you and talk about the good, the bad, and the ugly. Yeah, right. Of marriage. Some of you got that. Some of you don't worry about it, okay? And, and because we wanted to do our very best to help them to have the best marriage that they could have. And there was some knowledge that they needed so that they could be prepared to know what to look for, to know how to care for each other, because it wasn't just love will keep us together. They needed to know how to interact with each other. And so it would be that we would speak into their life. And oftentimes I found that in those moments that I delved into areas that absolutely nobody else could or would touch. It was important because there were things that they needed to hear. Well, believe it or not, you say, what in the world has I got to do with this morning? That's kind of like what this morning is like. Because you see, you are not dating the Davidsons. You have married them. And since you've married them, we need to talk about this relationship a little bit. And along the way, one of the things that, that you know, we'll, we'll realize is, is that, um, you know, there's some things I'll share with you today that nobody else will say to you. <laughs> that nobody else will talk about, but they're very, very important. This is really an important day. Here's our goal today. At the end of the service, I'm going to ask the Davidsons to come join us on the platform. I'll ask Brianna and Brant to join us a little bit later after Vicky and I speak a couple of things to Pastor John and Lynette. And we'll have leadership to gather around them, behind them, and, and then we're going to pray over them. And it's not just some officiate ceremonial prayer, but we're believing this. You see, whenever you step into a place of leadership, there are two mantles that come across your shoulders. The first mantle is a mantle of responsibility. Nobody has to tell you that you received that mantle. When I walked out of this auditorium just a few weeks ago and walked into the hospitality room to meet with John and Lynette and to say to them, you've been elected. I can guarantee you that there was a lift and a lilt as they realized, wow, we get the opportunity to lead. But I guarantee you, though I didn't look to see it then, John's shoulders dropped just a hair at that moment. Because he felt the mantle of responsibility. But thank God that's not the only mantle that we have that comes across our shoulders. Because whenever God puts us in a place of leadership, he also puts upon us a mantle of anointing. It's the anointing of the Holy Spirit to empower us to do what God has called us to do. Thank God I would never want to function without that mantle of anointing. Now, I believe that mantle has already come across your pastor and his precious wife. But I believe today that when we pray a commissioning prayer over them, as you are standing with me and lifting your hands forward and interceding for them and praying hedge of protection and blessing upon them, that at that moment, they're going to sense fresh and anew that mantle of anointing coming across their shoulders, empowering them to lead this church to the greatest days it's ever been in. That was a good place for an amen right there. Because let me tell you something. I know that this church has great legacy and it has great history. But I truly believe that your greatest days can yet be before you and not behind you. Let me say that one more time. I believe that your greatest days can be before you and not behind you. You see, anytime I walk into a church and they tell me how great things used to be at the church, I get worried. They're looking in the rearview mirror. Anytime your memories are greater than your vision, you're in deep weeds. But I believe that Pastor John and Lynette are gonna stand on the shoulders of those that have gone before them at this church, and they are gonna take you into a new season and a new time that is gonna lead you forward to the greatest days as you look through the windshield, not in the rearview mirror. Are you ready for that? All right. So let's jump in today. Ephesians 4 says this And he gave some apostles and some prophets. And some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the working of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the slide of men and cunning craftiness, whereby we lie, they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. A couple of things I want you to notice about that passage. Number one, we're going to be focusing what this passage is dealing with. But number one, and he gave. anytime somebody gives you something, it's a gift. And I want you to know that you have been given a beautiful gift in your pastor and his family. Can you say amen to that? Something else I want you to notice is two words. It says grow up. (laughs) There have been a few times in church situations I wanted to walk in and I just wanted to look at all of them and read Ephesians 4 to them and say, now grow up. (laughs) You see, here's the deal about growing up. The whole purpose of leadership in the church is to help us to grow up in Christ to mature in Christ because there are things and benefits that we get to experience. There are privileges that we get to have that we do not get to have until we grow up. And God wants us to mature in him. So not only can he use us, but so that he can bless us fully. So what Paul is doing in this passage is he's describing to us why he put spiritual leadership in place. You see, because sometimes, especially in today's society, it seems sometimes that we get a little bit hung up on and kind of pushing back on spiritual authority a little bit. But I want you to know that that is not some dictatorial rule, but it is something that God has established. Matter of fact, spiritual authority flows from the Father, through the Son, through the pastor, through the leadership to the church. Spiritual blessings flow from the Father, through the Son, through the pastor through the leadership to the church. And if you mess up one of them, you mess up both of them. Amen? Are you still with me today? So what we're going to do is we're going to see, as Paul was saying, spiritual leadership is here to take you forward, to keep things moving in the right direction. And so what we're going to do is we're going to take a little bit of time today to talk about what the pastor's responsibility is. And then we get to talk about the congregation for a while. Hello. And I hope today that That what I share with you will encourage you and excite you. But I also hope that sometime down the road, you know, a month from now, six months from now, five months from now, whatever. At some point, something's going to come up and God's going to bring back to your remembrance something I shared with you today. Not because Pastor Don said it, but because God was, I had the privilege of God speaking through me to you to prepare you for the days ahead. So let's talk about, before we talk about what the pastor is, let's talk about what the pastor is not. Number one. The pastor is not the hired hand of the church. I literally had a deacon call me one time. He said, Pastor Don, I just want to let you know we hired a pastor the other day. I said, no, you did not. Yes, we did. We hired a pastor. I said, no, you did not hire a pastor. God sent you a pastor. There's a big difference. Hello? You see, sometimes when we have a, a, a pastoral election, I was here for yours. We sometimes get confused and we think we're having some type of political experience. But it's not. Probably. I'm in a lot of different meetings at a lot of different times, so I can't always remember everything that I say. But I probably said something like this to you. Today what has happened is the leadership has worked diligently to try to bring to you the very best candidate. And they're saying to you today, it seems good to us and to the Holy Spirit that this should be our pastor. And I probably at that meeting said, so if it seems good to you and to the Holy Spirit that this should be your pastor, then write a yes on your ballot. So we were not having a political experience, but what we were doing was we were doing our very best to use this method to discern the will of God. And God spoke so strongly in that meeting to say, yes, this is what my desire is. is for this couple to lead this church into the future. God has blessed you. It's one of those times I get to share something with you that most people don't get to share. Please don't ever try to control the direction of the church with your tithe or your giving. There's a story. There was a pastor, got ready to walk up onto the platform one Sunday to start the the service. And and a a man approached him in the altar area, a man from the church, we'll call him Bill. And he said, Pastor, I need to talk to you. Can I, can I ask a favor of you, please? If you need to talk to your pastor about a problem, you might not realize this, but there are six other days in the week. Could you please find some other time besides Sunday morning right before he starts a service? Hello. Bill hadn't learned that yet. So Bill approaches the pastor and he says, Pastor, I need to talk to you. Pastor said, well, Bill, what, what can I do for you? And he said, Pastor, I just want you to know that I am not pleased with the direction that you're leaving this church. And I just want you to know that until we change directions, I will be withholding my tithe, bless God. The pastor said, well, Bill, can, I, can we pray about this? And Bill said, yes. And he said, well, we're right here in the altar area today. I will not kneel down. He said, let's just kneel down right here and pray about it. So he just laid, knelt down by Bill and he put his arm around him and said, God, Bill's decided to rob from you. He said, the man flew up and said, what in the world? He said, Bill, that's what you decided. He said, it was the best tithing guy he had at the church the rest of the time he was there. (laughs) He's not the hired hand of the church. Neither is he called to do all the ministry of the church. You see, I, I preach this in churches of 30 and churches of 500. And I know that when I'm in the larger churches, this isn't as important possibly and you know, because a lot of times in a smaller church, the pastor's having to do so much. But I want you to notice something very specific about this verse because it, it really lines out. You know, I remember the days that we would say, well, that's what we pay the preacher for. Hello. Are you all, with, all right with me today? Good. good. I hope so. I said good before you even agreed. But, you know, in this passage, and I, I, I shared out a King James. And I love the King James. That's, I grew up on the King James. But you, if you just read King James in this passage, you, you might miss, in this particular verse, the real import of what it's saying. Because it says in King James, for the perfecting of the saints, for the working of the ministry. Well, if you really dig into that, really the best translation of that would probably be for the equipping of the saints for the ministry. In other words, the pastor's job is not to do the ministry, but to equip the saints for ministry. If you expect the pastor and his wife or even the pastor and his wife and the staff to do the ministry of this church, this church is never going to accomplish what it needs to accomplish. Because not only Pastor John and Lynette, but all of the staff as pastoral staff, their role is to equip you. Because the greatest ministry of this church does not occur at nine forty-five, or excuse me, nine o'clock or ten forty-five on Sunday morning. It occurs Monday through Saturday when you're at Walmart, when you're at Hy-Vee, when you're at the convenience store, when you're sharing the love of Jesus Christ. I walked into a convenience store. There was a guy by the name that we, we go to, we go, how many go to come and go once in a while? I, you know, that's one of my vices is come and go. And and I walked in, there was a guy and he he had rabbit on his badge. I was like, what? So I asked him about that. He said, well, you know, I, you know, the manager and I have the same first name, and he said, when I was young, I had a drug problem and This family took me in and I was coming out of the drugs and um, and so I was real fidgety. And so they called me rabbit. And so I just grabbed that name. And so I began to share with him a story. Let me come back to that in a moment, because you see, I wanted to talk to him about a lady by the name of Aaron and a man by the name of Mike. I just shared with him about Aaron because Aaron was called Dink. And Mike and Dink walked into a service at Ashgrove Assembly. In the middle of, uh, in, in March of 1996, we had been there for 10 years. And it was at that time that God just, just caused some really explosive growth uh, for us. We were a rural community, uh, town of about 1400. When we left, we, was run, we were running about 180 to 200 on Sunday mornings. Amazing youth and children's ministries. We thank God for that. But, but at this time, we saw this a crazy growth of about 60 or 65 in about six weeks because of this amazing move of God. And it wasn't because the Baptist church across town had a split. People were coming in accepting Christ. And that particular Sunday, Mike and Aaron came walking in. In March of 1996, in the first, second Sunday they were there, Mike came to the Lord. And the, just a few weeks later, Aaron came to the Lord and, and they were lost. They had been lost until they found Jesus. They desperately needed a Savior. I just want to say something real quickly. They, they weren't all cleaned up when they walked in the door. Oh, they, they were. Washed, But, you know, I don't get to go fishing a lot. But any time I've ever gone to Stockton Lake, I've never caught a fish fillet there. Every time when I reel it out, it's just floppy, scaly. And I'm going to tell you what, you're not going to have just fish fillets walking in your door. You're going to have people who desperately need Jesus. And they're not going to be all cleaned up. Hello. Don't clean up and then come to Jesus. You can't do that. So Mike and Aaron came just as they were. And and God began to work in them as they accepted the Lord. I'll try to keep this story short because I really want to cover the basis today. And God asked Mike a really hard thing. Mike was a cycle rider and he had a Harley. And God asked Mike to sell his Harley. And he did. It's what I call whole hog commitment. About 10 years later, Mike approaches me. They've been discipled. They've been growing in the Lord, teaching a new converts class. And he said, hey, Pastor, can I I take you to lunch? I need to talk to you. So we went to lunch. And He said, I don't know what's going on. He said, uh, said, we're really kind of getting a little bit restless. We don't know if God's wanting us to leave the church. And that wasn't the case. As far as I know, he's still a deacon at that church right now. What God wanted him to do was buy another Harley, become part of an organization known as a tribe of Judah that reaches out to outlaw bikers. And God began to use them reaching out to those outlaw bikers. And the next thing I know, Mike and Aaron are taking people down to the river and baptizing them. And Mike had to get some kind of ministerial credentials because he was the only preacher they knew. And he was marrying couples that had been living together. Why is that important? Well, I'm going to tell you something. You might not have caught on to this, but Vicky and I wouldn't fit in very good with the Galloping Gooses or the Hell's Angels. But Mike and Aaron could. We got to live vicariously through them. Now, the interesting thing about Aaron, her name was Aaron, but when she came to the church, she was called Dink. But one of the ladies in the church said, Aaron, now that you're saved, because that had been her, that had just been a name that had hung with her. They said, you need to take your real name back. It's very important for you to do that. So here I am standing in a convenience store talking to Rabbit. And I share this story with him. I said, Rabbit, I want you to know something. When I come in this store, I'm not going to call you Rabbit. And I shared the story of Aaron and how she had stopped using the name Dink, but she started using the name Aaron. And I'll never forget, I don't know this young man's spiritual background. But he looked at me and he said, Yeah, because Dink was her dead name. Whew. Wherever you go, be a light. Amen? So what is the pastor to do? He's the pastor to shepherd the flock. He's not just a preacher. He's a watcher of your souls. There's going to be times that he's going to have to give you admonition. Constantly he'll be giving you encouragement. But there are times that he'll have to to admonish you. And you have a choice to make at that moment. You can see, you get to go huffed up and puffed up and how dare he. And it is his job. It is his role. God has called him not just to be sweet and kind to you, but he's called you to speak into your life at times that you need direction. You see, the shepherd not only gave sweet, loving caresses to the sheep, but also pulled them around to keep them in line, to keep them from danger. Not because he was ticked off at them, because he did not want to get them to get into places that was going to bring great harm to them. So he is is a watcher of your soul. He is a shepherd. Number two, he is to cast vision and give direction. So key for a church. Because you see, every church has about the same mission. It's, It's the great commission. Going to all the world. The vision, though, is, is uniquely tailored to each church. Why? Because each church is different. And what God wants to do is give vision to this church of how he wants to use Evangel temple to reach this area and this world for Christ. Thank God for Life 360. Thank God for James River. Thank God for Praise Assembly. Thank God for Ridgecrest Baptist. Let's thank God for our brothers and sisters in Christ. But God wants to give Evangel Temple part of the harvest. And the goal is for your pastor to find the vision of how he wants to use you to be part of reaching this world for Christ. He casts vision. you know, I, I believe that we work together as a team, but most of the times I believe that God gives vision to a man, to a woman. They share with other leadership together. They, 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 they customize, they fine-tune the vision, and then they share with the leadership. It's the reason he can't be doing all the work and why sometimes he can't be in the middle of everything you're doing is because of the fact he's got to be spending time with God to figure out the vision of where God is taking this church. Number three is to hear from God. For messages to preach and direction for the church. Now, those of you who haven't done that before, you might not realize the arduous task that that can be. I was talking to a deacon one time. It's really a unique place that a a superintendent is in. I may, in the same day, at 10 o'clock, get a call from the general soup. And in that afternoon, get a call from a deacon from a church of 35 or 50. It's just a weird place I'm in. And this particular deacon called me and their pastor had just left. They were, I had worked with this church before. I was going to be working with them again to try to help them to find the right pastor. But he was really perturbed at his previous pastor. And I was amazed, Pastor John, at how much he knew about his previous pastor's schedule. And he began to go through the week and what he did. And on Monday he did this. And on Monday, Tuesday, he did this. And on Wednesday, he did this. And he got to Friday. I mean, it just got this little little tang in his voice. You know, he said, and on Friday, he said it took him all day Friday to get his sermon for Sunday. He said, do you think it ought to take him all day Friday to get his sermon for Sunday? And I wish I'd have thought quicker because if I had of I'd have said, well, Jay, you're up next week. Let's see how long it takes you. (laughs) But instead, I said, well, Jay, it just depends. Do you want microwave or gourmet? Because you see, it takes time to dig into the word of God, to rightly divide the word of truth, to not only know what am I going to preach next Sunday, but to know how in the next few months I can share with, the God, share with this congregation the things that God wants them to hear so they hear the full gospel. Number four is here to see that the church is administrated well. Part of the reason that the shoulders of a pastor dips whenever he takes the responsibility is because of the fact that the ultimate responsibility of everything that goes on in this church falls on his shoulders. You see, if I drove by Evangel Temple and the lawn looked like it hadn't been mowed for six weeks and it looked pretty gnarly, I wouldn't be go looking for the lawn lawn keeper. I'd go looking for the pastor. If I got word, thank God that I've never got word on this, but that Evangel Temple's name was kind of getting kind of marred across town because they had bills they weren't paying and they were behind on this and the IRS was after them and yada, yada, yada. I wouldn't go looking for the bookkeeper. I'd go looking for the pastor. Because he is ultimately responsible to see that whatever goes on in this place is handled rightly. You might say, hey, why, why do you even think that's your business, Pastor John? Because everything that goes on in this place is his business. He has others that he will delegate to and that they will work upon. But the bottom line is he, God will call him into question to say, what did you do, Pastor John? He probably won't call him pastor. He doesn't call me pastor very often. He'll say, what did you do, John, while you pastored Evangel Temple to lead it forward and to accomplish moving the kingdom forward? Y'all still with me today? Well, we've been talking about the pastor this whole time. It's time to talk about the congregation for a little bit, right? So what is the congregation supposed to do? Number one, you are to pray for your pastor and his family. One of the most difficult, most heartbreaking, heart-rending things that I do is ministerial discipline. I cannot tell you what it does to my heart to hear from a pastor or for someone around them that they have allowed the enemy to get into a chink into their armor and they've made decisions that they should not have made. Because of that, not only do we have to discipline them, but I have to go meet with a congregation and say, sorry, we've had to remove your pastor. He is, at that time, not qualified to be in spiritual leadership because he's not going to have to go through a restoration process. It's Heartbreaking. I watch the pain in the congregation's eyes. I watch the pain in the pastor's eyes. I watch the pain in the family's eyes. Am I saying I know something about John that you don't? No, 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 no. This man's character and lifestyle is impeccable. But here's what I know. Taking on this responsibility of pastoring this church, God has some amazing things in store for this church. And I know that the enemy is real and that he fights. I, I wouldn't even say this, but I've been, had a pretty cruddy week as far as health. I've been in pain in my back most of the week, but I've realized most of the week that I've been under spiritual attack. On Thursday and Friday, I was leading one of the most important presbyters meetings of our district that I have led since in the last 10 years. And I understood the tact for what it was. I believe that God's going to heal me, but I understood. And I had people praying around me. My wife understood and was praying, covering around me. Let me get back to where I'm going. I want you to pray a covering around this pastor and his family. I want you to say, because you see if the enemy is going to come against this church, he's going to come against it right there. Because if you can get the engine off the track, the cars will derail as well. It takes years for a church to get back on track often when a pastor has has made wrong choices. I'm not saying John's going to make wrong choices. Don't just pray, God, keep him out of sin. But God, strengthen him. Give him wisdom. Help him, Lord. That's your responsibility. Can I share with you that if you're praying for your pastor, it will be hard for you to stay mad at your pastor. Notice my words very carefully. I didn't say you won't get mad at him. I said you won't stay mad at him. Because you see, sooner or later, you will get mad at him. It's a gift we have. I am going to share this. There was a lady in our church at Ashgrove, her name was Violet. She was actually my cousin. I called her Auntie. You had absolutely no problem telling how Auntie Violet felt. She's still alive. She's in her 90s. It was 91 before she had to go to a nursing home, I think. But that particular Sunday, I had done something and I had just flat ticked Violet off. She was sitting right over about right over there. Throughout the service, I could just look at her and just smoke rolling out of her ears. Well, I have this bad habit. When somebody's got something that they're holding against me, I don't normally walk away from them. I normally walk toward them. It's just one of those things. It's insanity or wisdom. I don't know which one. But we got, when we got done with the service, I just kind of made a beeline for Auntie Violet. And she was walking at me, and she had that look on her face, and about halfway to me, she just goes, I can't stay mad at you. And it wasn't because I was her cousin. I was her pastor. And I knew that she regularly prayed for me. She loved me so much that even though she was aggravated, she had to let it go. If you'll pray for your pastor. And let me just go right along that line too. Can I, can I just say something? When your pastor makes you mad. One of these days I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to preach a message. It's going to be titled entitled, If your brother or sister offend you, post it on your Facebook wall and hope a lot of people read it. I have seen divorces hashed out. on. I have seen church problems. It's awful. Can I tell you that if they know at Walmart that you got problems at your church, you got problems deeper than you even know. Because here's what you do. So the pastor says something, and it frustrates you. You don't share it with three other people to see if you can get get some allies. What do you do? You go to the pastor and say, Pastor, we need to talk. What you said last Sunday really frustrated me. And can I tell you that when you do, about 80% of the time, he's going to explain to you what he really said. And you go, oh, man, I misunderstood. Please forgive me. And about 20% of the time, he's going to go, I cannot even believe that I said that. Would you please forgive me? And rather than the enemy being able to drive a wedge between you, the Lord is going to give a bond between you. Let's move on quickly. What is your job? To support and encourage them and to believe in them. To say positive things about your pastor. I don't normally use Disney lines in, in sermons, but I do believe the thumper rule fits well. If you can't say nothing good, don't say nothing at all. You guys are awful quiet over that one. Come on now. (laughs) But you speak positive things about your pastor. You build them up. You encourage them. There was a lady in a church where we had been on staff one time and after we left the church, she She had helped to vote a pastor out, literally. Helped to vote another pastor in. But it wasn't about six months till she didn't like him either. I'm not sure that she would have been real happy with Jesus, that Jesus would have been her pastor. And she began to show her feelings in a unique way in that she would meet new people, guests, first-time attenders at the door of the church as a self-appointed greeter. She would shake hands with them. She would tell, her, tell them her name and find out theirs and say, we're so glad to have you at church today. We hope that you enjoy the service. You may like the pastor. I don't like him much myself. Build your pastor up. Say positive things. Do your very best to provide for him and his family. I already know that this church knows that well but let me reinforce this for a moment. This isn't just the the district superintendent, the district pastor coming in saying, boy, you need to pay your preacher good. I share with congregations about honoring leadership, spiritual leadership by doing their very best to provide for them, because I have never seen a church yet. You can prove me wrong if you can find one, but I've never seen a church yet that was thriving, moving forward, that was truly seeing the blessings of God if they were being stingy with their pastor or with missions. It just never occurs. Obviously making sure that they get a weekly check and that they're well taken care of as best they can. And your board does very well to make sure your congregate, not only your pastor, but your staff members are well taken care of. Your part of that is to help in, in, in pulling right leadership in place and, and giving faithfully to the church. Can I just say something real quick? Let me go back to that for a moment. There's something I didn't mention a while ago. You know, whenever you take that, that offering, and I know you're probably dropping it in boxes somewhere, but you remember long ago when we used to have pass the offering plate? Yeah. And you, and you turn loose of that check or that money and it, and it falls in the plate then you know that's not yours anymore once it hits the plate. It's the Lord's. But you've entrusted leadership to handle it well. And and as you give faithfully to the Lord, the Lord will bless that. But look for ways to bless your pastor and his family just because. Yes, their birthdays, their anniversaries. There's a lady in our church at Ashgrove. Her name was Nina. She's gone on to be with the Lord now, but Nina didn't have very much. But she loved her her pastor and pastor's wife, and she showed it regularly. Though Nina didn't have much, she found something that she liked. She found out I, that, that I liked. She found out that I liked no bake cookies. And so Nina every little once in a while, we had two morning services like you do here at Ash Grove, and, and between the two services, I would go to my office to recoup and regroup, and oftentimes there would be a Tupperware t- container sitting there filled with... No baked cookies. Still warm. I couldn't hurt Nina's feelings. I had to eat two or three right then. And though those cookies were good, what it really blessed my heart was this I thought to myself, Nina's got my back. Because I knew she wasn't just making cookies, she was praying for us. But those cookies meant so much. I'm going to tell you, small kind acts will mean so much of encouragement. There are so many things to discourage a pastor. This is, I am concerned about our pastors right now. I oversee over 1,600 ministers. About 350 plus of those are pastors. And I'm concerned for our pastors because there have never been in our, in my lifetime, a more strenuous time to lead than what we've gone through in the last couple of years. You say mask on, people get mad. You say mask off, people get mad. You say vax, people get mad. You say no vax, people get mad. I've said enough. Show your pastor that you're behind him. And I'm going to tell you what, not only behind him, but beside him. We're going to wrap up right here. We just hit a couple of things. Determined to be a participator. Excuse me, a spectator. I'll get it right. I said it right the first time. Determine to be a participator, not a spectator. Determine to buy into the vision. So when the pastor and leadership share vision with you, the first question isn't how much does it cost? It's what's my part? Together, let's join together and take the kingdom forward. I'm going to say it one more time. I truly believe I believe this with all my heart that the greatest days for Evangel temple are in front of you, not behind you. There's an excitement and an anticipation that God has orchestrated John and Lynette to come to this church and I believe because of that God is going to take you to an amazing place as you walk together to radically affect Springfield and your world for Christ. Can you say amen to that? Vicki, would you join me on the platform, please?